This is Beyond the Farm Gate, a show where we shine a light on great Australian stories in agriculture. On the show, you'll hear from farmers who've survived challenges like fire, flood and drought, people who run innovative and unique agribusinesses, and those who are balancing work and family in rural Australia. You'll be inspired hearing their stories and pick up some insights along the way. I'm your host, Annie Herbert. Today we're chatting with Kate McBride, a fifth-generation farmer from Western New South Wales and advocate for drought and water management. Having grown up on the Darling Barker River, Kate's seen both good times and bad, and the impact that mismanagement and climate change can have on our waterways. In this episode, you'll hear how Kate fell back in love with agriculture after leaving the family farm, how she's using her voice to influence policy change, and is fighting for improved services and infrastructure in rural communities. I'm again joined by my colleague, James Usel. So welcome back, James. Great to be here, Annie. Let's jump in. So welcome, Kate. Thanks for joining us on Beyond the Farm Gate. Thanks for having me on. So can you tell us about your connection to agriculture? Yeah, so I'm a fifth generation farmer. So I suppose one would say it's in my blood, but I was born and brought up on a sheep property out in Western New South Wales. It was a half million acre property, so plenty of room to run a bit of a muck growing up. And then when I hit school age, because we were pretty remote, my parents moved me back to Adelaide and I really sort of lost that connection to ag and the country and everything like that, as I think a lot of kids do, because my parents moved back to Adelaide as well. So yeah, sort of just got in the city life for a couple of years there and then changed schools in about year 10. And all of a sudden they offered agriculture and I just fell back in love with it. I had the most incredible teacher that just really reinvigorated my love for ag. Then I was like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to uni and study ag science. I was super keen, went to uni, started ag science, dropped out of ag science, realized science isn't my thing. Because I was in South Australia, it's sort of one of the few ag degrees that they offered. So I was a bit lost. I was like, what am I going to do? And so went back to the family property out in New South Wales for like what I call my sort of gap year and just fell in love with rural life again, fell in love with the people, the place, the hard work. Like I'd sort of turned into a bit of a townie, I reckon. So it was the best thing for me and spent a year out there just working my guts out as a bit of a station hand and yeah, then eventually came back to Adelaide and sort of created my own essentially like an ag business degree at Adelaide Uni. So it was a bit of like all round and I feel really lucky because I sort of had the best of both worlds, a bit of city, a bit of country, but yeah, through and through country gal now. (laughs) When you went back to the family property to have your gap year, what was it like? What were the conditions like? To give you guys a bit of an idea, Talano Station, where I was born and brought up on, it sits like it's between Menindee and Pooncarry. So for people that don't know the region, sort of Broken Hill Wildura Way. And it's right on the banks of the Lower Darling Barker River. So like absolutely amazing place to grow up. We'd grown up along this river our whole lives, you know, big connection to it, big respect for it, the need for it. And when I went home in 2016, there was no river. Like it was just bone dry and I didn't know why. I didn't know what I could do. I had absolutely no idea what was going on. And so, you know, that gap year sort of really turned into a bit of a year of growth and working out like, can I be an advocate for actually water management? Because I knew that this wasn't just drought what was going on. You know, the Darling Barker, the lower Darling Barker in particular, wasn't meant to go dry this way. 
so yeah, like sort of spent a year as well upskilling and becoming a bit of a voice and trying to raise awareness of the issues that were happening on this river. The fact that, you know, we're just taking too much water out of the system and that we're mismanaging the water that we actually do have as well in the country that we live in, Australia, the driest inhabited continent in the planet. We really need to be smart about the way we're managing water. So, yeah, it was like a big journey and then sort of spent the next few years, even though I was at uni out there as well. And of course, the big drought hit and that was really tough. And yeah, I sort of, I think back to the last few years since I went back and it's been a lot of really tough years as a lot of farmers have been dealing with it as well. But yeah, the water issues and of course, I'm sure a few of your listeners will remember the mass fish kills that happened out in the Way a few years ago as well. So that was like my home. Like I took that video that went viral. So we've been putting a lot of work into this. Some really tough years. And I think this is why I'm really passionate about young people in ag because we're sort of seeing the worst of the worst. We're coming into this industry and we're experiencing some horrible years from fires, floods, bushfires, mice plagues, droughts. We've sort of just had it all over the last few years and it hasn't been easy for us. You know, I guess on the flip side, you've got, I'm sure, some very fond memories of growing up on the Darling Barker River. Can you tell us the time when things were a bit better? I think this is why we fight so hard for the Darling Barker River is because it's like the heart and soul of the area, hey. It's quite a dry part of Australia. But the river's really what like brings everything together, whether that's the animals that rely on it or the explosion of life when we have a flood go down the river, but also the way that it brings people together. And we've seen this in droughts in the past that you sort of on those weekends, your mates will all come together and you'll spend time on the Darling Barker. And it's really this like connection place and it's a connection to the country, but also a way of people to connect to each other, which we all know now is just so important, especially through COVID. I think we realised how much we need people and human contact. And out that way, we essentially live in isolation. (laughs) What people have experienced through COVID is what a lot of rural people have experienced through their whole life. So having a place that really brings us all together was really important. And the childhood memories of floating in the river or slightly older (laughs) adult memories of filling up a tinny and a couple eskies and just some music in it and floating down the Darling Barker and just enjoying those hot summer days and sort of having this place to go to. So it's just such an important place for me. And like I wear Darling Barker soil around my neck in a necklace every single day. And it's my little reminder of home and why I do what I do and why I love it so much. Because yeah, I just think it's the most incredible part of Australia and it's worth fighting for. So that's what I do a lot of my work for. And you spoke about your gap year and how that became a real growth year for you. How did that experience really sort of influence your career now? Well, going back to the station, the difference that has had on where I've ended up now. I always say to like, I do a lot of talks at schools and unis and stuff like that. And I say to people that you can do anything. People that are afraid of public speaking or anything like that. All you've got to do is find something you're passionate about. And that's what I did in that year. I found the place that I was passionate about and a cause that I was passionate about. And yeah, like it's completely shaped me. It's taken me on a bloody whirlwind of a ride and I'm still on it. I never thought like today I'm sitting in Canberra. Earlier this week, I was up at Parliament House. The places that it can sort of take you, I feel like I'm still on my growth year. I'm still constantly learning and trying to upgrade my skills and what I can do. But that year sort of kicked it off being a bit of a spokesperson for the Darling Barker River. And from then it's just grown. And all of a sudden it was like, I've got to focus on the whole Murray Darling and be a voice for more people. 
And then all of a sudden, as soon as the media sees someone from rural Australia that can pull a sentence or two together half decently, all of a sudden you sort of, they come to you for other causes. So then the drought hit and all of a sudden they were like, can you speak on this? I feel like my causes and my community that I want to represent keep getting bigger and bigger, which is incredible. It's hard work. And it means that I put a lot of pressure on myself because I feel a real sense of purpose to now bring rural voices, whatever that may be, whether it's on water or drought or mental health, to people in the city and try and help bridge this gap because we know so much about this city-country divide. And people in the cities do care about us rural folk. Often they just don't know many of us and they don't know how to connect or how we work. So, yeah, it was sort of one of my roles now is trying to connect that and really make sure that our voices are being heard in the big smoke. <laughs> And one of the other times that you've been able to really voice, you know, your experiences and share some of those thoughts and opinions is when you were on Q&A multiple times. Talk us through that. What was that like as an experience? Because to me, just watching, I felt so nervous and I don't know how you could possibly do it. I was so impressed. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, crazy experience. And any media is pretty intense, but something that goes out live is a whole nother ball game. But so I've been on three times now and I've had incredible experiences for all of them. I stress a lot before. So my entire week before I will go on is I just sit down and I call as many people as I possibly can because it'd be easy for me to stand up there or like sit on the panel and just be a voice for myself or my little community. But that's not what I'm about because us rural folk, we don't get heard enough. And so I feel like I have to make sure that I'm taking everyone's voices that I possibly can up on stage with me. So if it was just representing myself, then that'd be one thing. And I think especially that first one back in 2019, I didn't stress as much because my community wasn't as big. But as that continues to grow and there's more causes that I become passionate about and want to represent and speak on, yeah, I think it's getting more and more intense each time. But the love and support that I get from regional communities when they see a country person up there talking about issues that they care about is absolutely amazing. So, yeah, that's why I try my guts out and just getting our voices heard is so important. And has there been any outcome from your time on Q&A and the things that have been discussed? Have you found that it's helped move things along? It all contributes. Everyone's contribution and I always say that I'm just a small cog in a bloody great big machine that we're all trying to have our voices heard and get movement on issues that we care about. I think it all does help. And the other thing that I think when it comes to this kind of advocacy as well is there's not going to be any silver bullet. None of these issues are going to be solved overnight, but we need to be in it and we need to be at that table when these discussions are being had to actually be heard. And the other thing for me personally is, you know, we're dealing with some big issues like mental health and services in regional Australia and climate change and water management. Like these are big topics. And I feel like for me personally, it's one of those things that no matter what happens in the future, and I pray that they are good outcomes, but no matter what, that I can say to myself that I tried my absolute heart out. I tried my guts out and I couldn't have done anything more to influence this outcome anymore. So I think it's a big thing for me personally as well, feeling like I'm doing enough. Like it's tough and I think sometimes as well you can sort of, it's easy to lose motivation on some of these things because they're big, long battles, but all we can do is try and I get so much fulfilment out of getting messages from young people being like, 
I want to take on this cause and I want to join or like you've inspired me to go out and do something I'm passionate about. Like sometimes they don't need to be impact, like big impacts. They can be just on one person's life, but you're having a big impact on that person's life. So like it's really important for me. So we hear a lot about water in times of drought. We don't often hear about it when there are good times. And you spoke before about being at that table when those conversations are being had. What are those key conversations you think we need to be having when we aren't in drought? Yeah, and this is a big thing for both water management, for drought, for everything. Like when the topic is hot, there's a lot of discussion about it. And the hard thing is when people are really struggling, sometimes it can be hard to have really tough decisions because we just need to make sure that we're supporting people to actually get through those tough times. But you're bang on. Like now is the time that we need to be sitting down and actually having some real discussions about what's going to happen next time we enter into drought or next time we have dry times within Australia. So for water, I mean, that means looking at how we're using water and how we're managing it. And right now, I don't think we're doing either very well. We know that our ecosystems are really struggling. And so science tells us we need to be returning water to the environment. And I think now is the time to actually be doing that, to be having these discussions of, okay, let's return some water to the environment because it means that we're not going to an irrigator when they're in really tough times and saying, we want to buy your water. It's actually times where people are thriving and maybe some old farmers just want to retire. And so it's actually the right time to be having these discussions. Timing's everything when we're doing this. And yeah, it's the same with drought, it's the same with water, it's the same with a lot of tough issues that we have. And, you know, mental health in particular, services in regional Australia. I mean, we don't want to get to the point where like we already sort of are with a lot of these services breaking point. But when times are better, we need to be fixing a lot of these issues. And yeah, I'm just so sick of Australia's drought policy being so ad hoc. We enter into drought and then we go, oh no, we've got another one that started again. We know they're coming. We know that they're actually getting worse. So let's make sure that we're working with these people rather than when they're really, really struggling in the depths of drought. Let's, before it even kicks in, go, okay, how can you manage your farm better? What can we be doing to support you? And how can we create more resilient communities, more resilient farms? What can we do? And I don't think enough of that is going on. And it's something like that I'm really keen to work on with whatever government gets elected in a couple of weeks' time, because I think it's real discussions that we need to be having is like not that ad hoc approach that we just always see. And we all hate saying it, the footage of stock dying in the middle of the drought and farmers at breaking point and suicide rates skyrocketing. I mean, that's too late to be having discussions. We need to do it early. You're probably more privy to a lot of the conversations that go on around drought and water management than a lot of us, but is there anything that individuals or groups are coming up with that you think could be a really great part of the solution? Yeah, I think there's a lot. Like, again, there's no silver bullet, but I think there's some incredible communities around the place actually trying to sort of diversify their communities and making them more resilient, you know, encouraging services out there to actually help people when they're doing it tough or even when they're not doing it tough creating these real communities and there's a lot of incredible leaders out in these communities because you can't send city people out into these communities and try and get them to sort all the problems. You need people that have had trust and that understand these communities because at the end of the day, us country people, we sort of wired slightly different, I think, to our city brothers and sisters. So we need different solutions. So yeah, there's a lot that people can do. And the other thing like the world that I'm sort of starting to get a bit more involved in is the world of politics too. And I think individuals have so much power when it comes to this kind of stuff. And whether it's meeting with sitting members within our areas or contacting ministers, 
I always encourage young people to actually get engaged and get involved because they do care about what young people are thinking. But yeah, there's so much incredible work that's going on like on the ground. And I just feel like a lot of these projects, if they're well supported, could really be expanded out all over the place because us country people, we know what we need and we know what works and what actually connects with the people out our way. You're now working for the Australia Institute. Tell us, what are you up to? What are you doing? Yeah, so the Australia Institute is a public policy think tank based in Canberra. I'm in their Adelaide office and I've had the most incredible year and a half with them. So for the first year, I was sort of very focused on water issues, Murray-Darling stuff, which was great and pumped out some reports and did a lot of really cool networking. And this year, I'm really keen to start working on these rural issues. So looking at services in the bush, you know, what we can actually do to make these communities more resilient and diversify them. So, yeah, I think I've got a pretty exciting year ahead. I'm sort of trying to team up with a lot of country people as well, because, as said, I don't just want my voice heard on these types of things. I want to be connecting up with as many people as I possibly can. So even keen to look at, you know, issues like alcohol consumption in the bush and what we can be doing to actually encourage discussions around this. The incredible charity Sober in the Country do some amazing work to actually not try and stop people from drinking, but just have that discussion that it's actually okay to say no to a beer if you don't want one. So yeah, got some really cool projects hopefully lined up which is really exciting. And I just feel really fortunate to be working in an organisation that is city-focused, city-based, but they're just empowering me to be able to do some incredible work. So hopefully got some exciting years ahead here and I'm just loving every minute of it. And yeah, sitting in Canberra today and I'd never really spent much time in Canberra before joining the Institute, but loving every second of it. (laughs) And quite obviously this opportunity enables you to tap into something that is one of your passions, which is connecting city with country, which you've touched on a couple of times today. In what ways do you think there is a divide between the two? I think there's a big divide in a lot of ways of people understanding what we do and where their food comes from. And I think through COVID, there was some, you know, discussions being had about that and the importance of our farmers. And I think even during the drought, we saw some of these discussions being had. But unfortunately, people have really short memories. All too often, those discussions sort of get thrown to the back of our minds. So, yeah, that's one thing. But I think also like a lot of the issues that we face out in regional Australia People in the cities don't really quite understand our lack of digital connectivity, the fact that we can't even pick up the phone and call Lifeline or Beyond Blue, whatever it might be, at times in places where we are. So that kind of issue. But even like connectivity extends to even being able to run a business, how difficult that can be for regional people. So some of these issues, looking at services, people having to drive hundreds and hundreds of kilometres to be able to have a child or have an operation, being flown to Sydney for some of these things. So we face a lot of challenges. And I think just trying to connect people about those challenges, because as I said before, people in the cities, they do care about regional people. When these issues come up, whether it be a dry darling barker or drought or fires I mean we see how engaged city people can get and the amount of work and donations that come out of it but we need to keep doing that and we need to keep raising awareness of the issues and one of the ways that I see it as well is that need to connect city and rural people to actually be able to influence politics and politicians to change some of these issues because that's what we've seen is for way too long country Australia has been neglected and our services just continue to keep diminishing So let's try and raise awareness. Let's get the city people on our side 
and actually advocating for us because then our politicians are going to have no other option but to support us. And another thing we saw during COVID was people moving from the city out to the country. But how has that impacted services and infrastructure within the country that perhaps are already struggling? Exactly. And this is something I had that much of an understanding of. I thought, great, like what an awesome way to encourage people to get out there. Australia is so urbanised, so let's get people out into the regions. But you bang on. Like we already had services that were struggling and then when more people moved out there, it just makes it even tougher for regional people and particularly the people that aren't in those regional centres but probably rely on it, you know, those farms a bit further out. Like I've heard stories of people going in for like doctor's appointments for mental health and things like that and having to wait months now. These services were already at their wit's end and now it's just even worse. And I think it's a discussion that we haven't even really had as Australia. And I've heard a lot about the fact that it's actually put a lot of pressure on the housing market as well out in these areas. There already wasn't really enough houses out here and now city people have been moving out, which is great. Like I think fundamentally it's a really good thing. But because they've sold their house in Sydney or Melbourne or wherever it may be, they got a fair bit more money to actually go and bid on that house. So they're almost outbidding these regional folk as well. So I think there's some real discussions we need to be having about that as well. And I think they probably should have already happened. But with COVID, we had bigger issues to think about. But it's really something now that I think like our government in particular needs to step in and sort of look at like, okay, what do we need to do? How do we encourage doctors to go out into these areas? And what can we do about some of these housing crises that are in these areas too? So yeah, some big issues. And it's one of those things, isn't it? It's like this double-edged sword. We want people to be out in the regions. But if there's not services for them, and the other thing is as well, if they hear that there's no services for them, people are probably less likely to go visit as well because with COVID, we're all like, come out and see Australia and connect with regional folk and everything. And then they hear, well, you can't get services in these areas, so why would I bother? So we really need to be working on this because it's a bloody big issue. Absolutely. It's important to not only identify where we need to focus our energy and resources for the future, but also celebrate perhaps the achievements we have had. What are some that spring to mind for you where you've seen rural communities really advance and grow? Oh, there's so many like examples and all it takes is to turn on the TV and watch whether it be landline or whatever, you know, any story about regional communities, it seems like it's either absolutely terrible or just some community that are going in leaps and bounds. And I love seeing all the young leaders that are coming out at the moment. I don't know what sparked this. I don't know if it's always this way, but this community of young rural folk that are passionate and want to see our country go forward and we're all connected on social media and it's a really exciting time for ag and I feel like I've touched on a lot of like issues that we face today and we do like we can't disregard them but I think it is such an exciting time to be in ag I think there's so many incredible men and women coming up through the ranks that are just supporting each other and want to see all of our industries whether it be wool or any type of farming go forward we've got these champs coming through and I'm just really excited I felt like for the last few years sort of like on the edge of my seat just waiting for a lot of these people to take off and when we see them start to take over and these positions of power whether it be on boards for industry bodies or politics whatever it is 
I think it's going to be a really exciting time. And these young people have such a way of connecting to city people. So when we really start to see, and I think we're already seeing these barriers break down between city and country folk, but when we probably do knock that wall down, I just think it's going to be really exciting. And I think people understand the importance of the ag industry. There's a lot of work going into right now growing it, despite climate change having some big challenges that we face in front of us. We also have the opportunity to be part of the solution and there's so much work going into that as well. So, yeah, I'm just really excited about where this is going and watching people that I've connected with on social media or seen on different TV programs doing such incredible stuff. Can you tell us about some of those young rural leaders, you know, that are starting to bring out their voice a bit? Who are they and how are they influencing you and and motivating you? Where to even start? There's so many. Honestly, the friendship circle and the network that I've been able to create over the last few years with these people, whether it be through different training programs like livestock leaders or just seeing people around, like it's amazing. You know, people always say the ag industry is pretty small and at times it can feel that way because you all of a sudden just start connecting with these people. But yeah, I think the network that a lot of these people have created, if anyone's struggling or we're receiving a bit of backlash for there's something that we've posted online sharing stuff. The support network that these people have, because they all get it, a lot of these issues that we're facing. And just those people there for advice as well. And I think we're at a really fortunate time where we've had a few years of some real change makers within this space that have like sort of been there, done that. And now there's a lot of us sort of taking on the baton and moving forward. But yeah, I'm not going to start naming people, hey, because if I do, I'm going to forget people because there's just so many. But A lot of like the importance of these podcasts, because there are so many like humans of agriculture and generation like ag and farms advice. Like these people every week are getting young Aggies on that are passionate about what they do and sharing their journey with the broader community. And I think that is just so important to actually be doing to help break down these barriers and just connect people because the amount of times I've listened to a podcast, I mean, like that person is amazing. I need to link up with them. And then you shoot them a message and they get straight back to you. Like these people that you just go, wow, they're incredible, but they're just all too happy to help. And I think it's really nice to see that rural personality of just being able to like walk up to someone in the pub and connect with them and have a bit of a yarn and the type of people that are willing to take the shirt off their back for you. But you get that online and it's really special. And then all of a sudden you just sort of start to link up with people. And I've got a mate who's from Mount Wilcannia, so near my wife. And he was in Canberra for something today. And like we've never met. We've done a heap of stuff together. I've been on his podcast. We've been like in newspapers together and everything. Never met in person. And just shot each other a message being like, do you want to catch up for a beer? And so tonight we're hopefully going to catch up. Like it's little things like that where... You just have connections along the way. And I think for me, that's a really big thing, like making connections with people, networking, and just being able to have a laugh with mates is really important, especially, yeah, in this journey where we're dealing with some big issues at times too. And that's exactly what happened with us. We reached out to you on Instagram and you got back to us straight away, which was awesome for us because we've been wanting to get you on for a while and feel very stoked that you've mentioned us with the likes of Ollie and Jack and a few of the things you've touched on today. We've had guests on, we've had Millie Nolan from Livestock Leaders, we've had Tom Andrews talking about connectivity. So it's reassuring that we are tackling and talking about some of those really key issues for Australian ag. So yeah, you've made us feel good about what we're doing too, which is awesome. Thank you. It's so important. You guys give 
ag, like, or rural people a voice. And that's what we need. And a lot of people like, well, I know what a privilege I think being given a voice and a platform is. And I can't do it without people like you. So it's so important. And I just, I love your work and I love that you reach out and you're platforming other young Aggies, which is exactly what we need. So with that in mind, what's next for you, Kate? I know you're not much of a forward planner, but what's it for the foreseeable future? Yeah, so I'm part-time at the Australia Institute. still do a fair bit of work out in Western New South Wales, so I'm a board member for something called Local Land Services. And then a lot of talks and unis and events and schools and a bit of everything. So I don't know, nothing in particular. I actually signed up to join the reserves the other day, so might add that onto my big list of stuff that I do. But I don't know, I'm one of those people that, as you said, don't plan but love variety. Like for me, just variety is the spice of life. So I'm on the road now for the next month, just going around. I've got a heap of different stuff lined up out to Broken Hill in a week or two. So a bit all over the place and a bit like what I tell people and they're like, what's your five-year plan? I will go wherever I'm needed and wherever I can be most useful. So I don't have a plan. And I think if I have a plan, it can sort of with the work that I do, you want to get there. And if other things come up, you're less likely to take that sidetrack. So (laughs) maybe that's my excuse for not being a planner, but whatever that looks like, you know, if it's continuing the work that I'm doing now, if I'm being effective doing that, then great, because I love it. A lot of people have been like, do you want to get into politics? And hey, like in a few years time sort of thing, if there's no one else, like I'm very much, other people could do it. I like being on the outside and not being involved with it all. But if that's where I can be most effective to actually have regional voices heard, then I'd seriously think about it. So, yeah, I don't know, a bit of a watch this space because I can't tell you where I'm going. And, yeah, I, it's only because I don't know. Otherwise, I would because I'm an open book. <laughs> and so you said you're getting on the road for the next month. And for anyone that does follow your Instagram, you're constantly on the road and travelling thousands of kilometres. How many thousands of kilometres are you going in the next month? Oh, so in the last week I've done, well, I went from Adelaide to Bendigo to Orange to the Blue Mountains, to Sydney, then down to Batemans Bay and over to Canberra. So that was in a week. I think it'll probably be a four or 5,000 kilometre trip. And I sort of, every couple months I end up doing this. I just do this like big lap of, yeah, South Australia, a bit of Vic over to ACT and the Canberra. So my car racks up at servicing pretty quickly, <laughs> but I love it. And being on the road is really my thinking time. And it's been a big thing for me is like realizing that's my sort of time to settle and to think and yeah, not plan because I can't do that, but sort of get my thoughts in a bit of a row. So yeah, don't know. I think I've got another week in Canberra. So nice to sort of call this place home for a few more days. And then yeah, out into Western New South Wales for adventures out there. Clearly you're in the car quite a lot. What's your go-to road trip song? I don't know. I'm one of those people. I have like thousands and thousands of songs and like weird like it just goes from like country to I don't even know some weird like musicals (laughs) all over the place and the whole thing just goes on shuffle if I start listening to like a favorite song I get really sick of it really quickly so just always on shuffle and I like being by myself because otherwise people are probably like yeah weird tasting music Now, Kate, before we wrap up, there's a question we do ask all of our guests on Beyond the Farm Gate, and that is when you are on a property, what work boots do you wear? Ariots, I think. But I did. I've got these like weird mixes, and I think, I don't know if I'd call them like home brand, 
but I went to the <laughs> States a few years ago and there was this shop that, and I'm not kidding, it was buy one pair of boots, get two pair free. You'd get three pairs for the price of one. So I bought nine pairs of boots and bringing them back from the States was, it was a bit of overweight baggage. <laughs> yeah, they're sort of like not really any brand, but I go through boots pretty quickly because I'm pretty rough on gear at times. So I think some of them might be Ariat's, but yeah, who knows? <laughs> a bit like your uh, music taste, a little bit varied. <laughs> all over the place it's just like my life (laughs) (laughs) well thank you so much for joining us today Kate perhaps when you're back in Adelaide you can find some time in your busy schedule to squeeze in a beer it's been great to chat buddy I've always got time for a beer (laughs) (laughs) thanks Kate cheers guys thanks for listening this podcast is produced by Rural Bank Rural Bank supports the agribusiness community by providing financial services, knowledge and leadership for Australian farmers to grow. If you'd like more information about the topics we discussed today, as well as links and other resources, we've added those to the show notes for this episode. You can find them by tapping or swiping over the cover art in your podcast player now. And while you're there, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps other people find the show. I'm Annie Herbert and I'll chat to you next time.